painted over the double doors of the lobby to the from the lobby to the sanctuary at Christ the Redeemer Church where I once pastored were these words expect a miracle thanks be to God we saw miracles in that place we saw people healed we saw people set free from oppression we saw relationships restored we saw people giving generously of their time talent and tithes we saw people born again we saw people baptized in the Holy Spirit expectations make all the difference that is what Advent is about, expectations, great expectations that glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. What are your expectations? What do you expect from your Christian life? What do you expect from your life, your walk with Jesus Christ? Do you expect pie in the sky and the sweet by and by? Surely there must be something more than heavenly bliss in the distant future. Do you expect a comfortable lifestyle? Surely you don't believe that, God, that the gospel is a means of gain. Do you expect freedom from pain, from stress, from hard work? Surely you know that Jesus promised his followers persecution. What do you expect from your Christian life? Today's lessons from Isaiah's prophecy and Matthew's gospel are all about great expectations these texts focus on the end times from the coming of the kingdom of God in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ through the church age in which we now live to the parousia the second coming of Jesus Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand John's announcement of the kingdom was the beginning of the end times. We'll come back to that beginning. First note that the Old Testament nowhere says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Rather, it, pro it prophesies the coming of the kingdom at a later date. The first coming of the Messiah and the church age are not in focus in the Old Testament. There are exceptions, of course such as Psalm 22 and Isaiah 52 and 53, both of which describe in detail the cross and the suffering of the Messiah for the sins of the people. But the emphasis of Old Testament prophecy is on the second coming, the consummation of the end times. That is the content of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 11, which Matthew just read. Turn there with me to Isaiah 11, 1 and 10. In those first 10 verses, the word shall appears 22 times. The Lord speaking through the prophet tells us what the, that the kingdom of heaven shall come and what it shall be like. The Old Testament saints, inspired by the prophets, had great expectations for the future, for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. They received the promise with great expectations but the reality would come much later. What did Isaiah expect? Isaiah says the Messiah shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. That is to say that the Messiah will be the seed of David. This branch of David shall bear fruit. He will be productive. 
Think of a fruit tree growing out of a stump and bearing much fruit. Messiah is the branch. The church is the fruit. He will bring many sons and daughters to glory. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, agree with Isaiah. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is anointed with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah continues, Messiah shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. In the coming kingdom, Messiah will be the righteous judge of the living and the dead. And what will that kingdom be like? Verse 6 and following reads, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. The prophet uses prophetic lang pro po poetic language to describe the peaceful nature of the coming kingdom. Isaiah is not describing the church age, the age in which we now live. He is describing an age yet to come at the return of Jesus. It is idyllic. It is a fulfillment of all the promises of God. It is a peaceful kingdom. Isaiah gives us a glimpse into the great expectations of the Old Testament saints. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But the earth today is not full of the knowledge of the Lord. It is filled with confusion and conflict, with distress and destruction, with battles and bitterness, with pessimism and perversion. And yet the church of Jesus Christ is advancing like a mighty army. Indeed, we used to refer to the saints during the current age as the church militant. And the saints after the resurrection as the church victorious. But political correctness has changed that language. The church today is under attack. It is being emasculated. Yet we, like Isaiah are right to expect the coming of God's kingdom. Turn with me back now to the beginning, to Matthew 3, 1 to 12. What are the expectations found in the gospel? Matthew 3, 1 to 3 tells us that John came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this he, he was, he, <clears throat> excuse me, for this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
John the Baptist ushered in the kingdom as a forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. He expected Christ the Lord to come, bringing the kingdom with him. Any kingdom is defined by the place and the rule of the king. Where the Lord is king, there is the kingdom. If you say, yes, Lord, you are part of that kingdom. But if you say, no, Lord, then he is not really Lord or king, and you're not part of the kingdom. Verses 4 through 9 describe John the Baptist and his ministry. Skip with me to the second part of verse 10. Focus with me on the church age, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the here and now. John the Baptist describes the church age. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In chapter 15 of John's gospel, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The mark of the kingdom, the evidence that we are part of the church of Jesus Christ, is fruit bearing. I take that to mean that men and women, boys and girls, are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ that the image of Jesus is being reproduced in us. Acts 2.47 puts it like this. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Saving grace is the Lord's work. It is unmerited favor. It doesn't happen because we wish it to be so or even because we work hard. But if there is no fruit, Something is wrong. We are meant to bear fruit. Back to Matthew 3, verse 11. John the Baptist continues, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. From all over the surrounding region, people were coming to John to be baptized. They came confessing their sins and repenting. But John said that the one coming after him would baptize them in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean exactly? The truth be told, there seems to be certain times and places in church history when and where the Holy Spirit has been more active in the life of the church. The first of those is recorded in the book of Acts, the events of the first Pentecost and the years immediately following. Another is the Reformation, illustrated by Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which includes this line, the spirit and the gifts are ours. Then there were the great awakenings, during the first of which John Wesley said his heart was strangely warmed. In the early 1900s, there was the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, 
led by African-American preacher William J. Seymour. And we remember most recently the charismatic renewal of the 1970s, which reached literally every mainline denomination. Many of today's church leaders were touched and shaped by that renewal, by the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All of these movements are Pentecostal in form and experience. In some ways, these movements repent the event, repeat the events of the first Pentecost. Pentecost began as renewal always begins with God's people gathered in expectant prayer. But I wonder, have the expectations of the church faded? Do we really pray expecting to see God move? If we're going to understand the truth that Jesus Christ is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, we simply have to look at the first Pentecost and the Acts of the Apostles. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, Jesus himself said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Two key words define the baptism of the Holy Spirit, power and witness. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. We should expect nothing less. Great expectations of the church are that you be baptized in the Holy Spirit and that you receive power and that you will be his witnesses. There were about 120 people gathered together in expectant prayer in the upper room on Pentecost. That included the apostles and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and others. The Holy Spirit descended upon them like tongues of fire, and they all spoke in tongues, proclaiming the mighty works of God. Peter and John spoke in tongues. Mary, the mother of Jesus, spoke in tongues. They all spoke in tongues. There were people from all over the known world gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish feast of Pentecost, and they heard the newborn church speaking in their languages. Realizing that those who were speaking in tongues were Galileans, the people were amazed. Peter stood up and preached to the crowd about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, concluding, let all the house of Israel know therefore for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God spoke through Ezekiel 600 years before Jesus, saying, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Those who heard Peter preach were indeed cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit cut out their heart of stone and gave them a heart of flesh, and they cried, Brothers, what must we do? Peter responded, Repent and be baptized, each, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Is that what they were expecting? Dr. Luke tells us in the second chapter of Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Is that what they were expecting? And signs and wonders followed, including the healing of the man lame from birth sitting by the beautiful gate. Peter said to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Is that what they were expecting? Beloved, I think that is exactly what they were expecting. Jesus had promised them the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised them power. Jesus had promised that they would be his witnesses. The early church expected to see others coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They expected to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They expected fellowship and worship. They expected to see signs and wonders following the preaching of the word. Can you really imagine Peter saying, rise up and walk, if he didn't expect the lame man to walk? And when trouble and persecution came, what did the church do? They prayed. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If you were not here when Matthew Robinson preached on November the 17th, I urge you to go online and listen to his sermon on persecution. The early church understood persecution as an opportunity to witness. When persecution rose in Jerusalem, Philip, one of the new deacons, went to Samaria and preached Christ. Many came to faith. Then the church in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to Samaria to lay hands on the new believers that they might be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter and John expected every believer to receive the Holy Spirit. Later, Paul came to Ephesus, and he found about a dozen new believers there. He asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, were, when you believed? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Paul expected to see the Holy Spirit at work in the life of every Christian. And he made his trials the evidence of his apostleship. Yes, there are those who believe that the work of the Holy Spirit ceased with the pinning of the amen to the revelation. I am not one of those. I believe our expectations matter. What are your expectations? What do you expect out of your Christian life? What do you expect of your walk with Jesus Christ? Do you expect to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you expect to see miracles? Do you expect to be filled with power? Do you expect to be witnesses? Do you expect to be called to serve? Do you expect to see the Holy Spirit at work in the church today? 
Do you have great expectations? Or do you expect to come to the Y for a couple hours on Sunday morning and go home satisfied? Pentecost began as every renewal always begins with God's people gathered in expectant prayer. Will you pray with me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Will you pray with me for boldness? Will you pray with me that the Lord add to the church those who are being saved? Will you pray expecting to see God's hand at work? Will you pray with me that the name of Jesus Christ be glorified in his church and in our community this Advent season?